Father in heaven, Lord, we want to pray that your Holy Spirit would once again be with us as we study your word. Lord, we've seen the truth about your Sabbath, Lord, that, that Jesus kept it, that Abraham kept it, that your disciples kept it, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you'd be with us now as we uncover what happened during the last 2,000 years of history. And uh, we pray, Lord, that we would see the importance of, of your word and, and following your will and your commandments, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Have you ever noticed that things aren't always the way they appear to be? For centuries, scientists believed that the earth was the center of the universe and that everything, including the sun and stars, orbited around it. But it wasn't until a free-thinking Polish man by the name of Copernicus determined that the earth was in motion and that it revolved around the sun. He compared how sailors on a calm sea might experience the illusion of being perfectly still and everything else around them as moving. Copernicus wrote, he said, in the same way, the motion of the earth can unquestionably produce the impression that the entire universe is rotating. Simply because it appeared that the sun and the stars were moving around the earth didn't mean that they actually were. Just because you believe something doesn't mean, doesn't make it true, especially if it's not based on facts. If it's not based on the evidence. And just because everyone else seems to believe it doesn't mean that it's true. Consider the story of a spider. Aristotle classified the spider as an insect. It was known that insects have six legs. And for centuries, no one questioned the great Aristotle, the philosopher. And it was just commonly assumed that spiders were insects and that they had six legs. Well, 2,100 years later, after Aristotle, it was Jean-Baptiste Lamarck who presented the classification of a spider as an arachnid having eight legs. So it took 2,100 years for people to, to figure this out. And just because something is true, friends, just, sorry, just because something is believed for centuries doesn't mean that it's true. Could it be that a tradition like one of these long-held ideas has slipped into the Christian church? Is it possible that many have accepted falsehood in the place of truth and that very few people today actually question it? Do you think that it's possible that today, just as in Christ's time, that his church could be setting aside the commandments of God to follow human tradition instead? A tradition so old that that almost hardly anyone knows how it started, a tradition that nearly all Christians accept, thinking that they're following God's law, when in fact they're following something of complete human origin. The book of Revelation predicts that Satan would attempt to deceive the whole world. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, it says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. Friends, the deceptions in these last days will abound. That's Satan's goal, is to deceive the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. We see that the devil was cast out of heaven down to this earth, and eventually he deceived Adam and Eve in the garden. And friends, he's been, he's been deceiving men and women ever since. We've seen in previous nights that God's law is a law of love. We saw that just last night. We've seen that his law represents 
his authority. We've also seen that God's law defines what's right and what's wrong. Now, isn't it logical that Satan, the great deceiver, would attack, would also attack God's law? Because if he could do away with God's law, he could do away with God's authority. Because God's law is the foundation of his government. And right at the heart of God's law is the fourth commandment, commanding us to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, isn't it logical that Satan, the great deceiver, would also attack the Creator by challenging the Sabbath, the memorial of God's creation? People, people often wonder, so who changed the Bible Sabbath? Well, friends, certainly God did not. Because the Bible tells us this in Malachi 3, verse 6. It says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. God has not changed his mind on this issue one bit. We read in our first presentation tonight that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, that God did three things on the, Sabbath, on the seventh day. What did he do, friends? The first thing is that he blessed the seventh day. The second thing that he did was that he sanctified it. That means he set it apart as a holy day. And third, he rested from all of his work. We also saw in Exodus 31, 18, that the Ten Commandments were written with the very finger of God. We also saw that the fourth commandment explicitly tells us to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. Six days you should labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. We read in Ezekiel 20:12, where God says, I also gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between them and me that they, may, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. We've seen that the Sabbath is a sign between God and his people, and that God's sign, and that this has been God's sign throughout the centuries. We saw in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, that Jesus, as his custom was, went to church. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. We read in Matthew 24, verse 20, that Jesus said, Pray that your flight may not be on the winter or on the Sabbath day. He said this because he knew his disciples would still be keeping the Sabbath nearly 40 years after the cross. We read in Acts 13, 42 and 44 that the Apostle Paul taught a whole city to keep the Sabbath and that even the Gentiles begged that they might preach to them the next Sabbath. We read in, in Revelation chapter 1, 10 that the Lord has a day. It said that John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And we saw in Luke chapter 6, 5 that the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath day. You can read the same thing in Mark 2, 28 and Matthew 12, 8. The Sabbath is clearly the Lord's day. And after seeing all the biblical evidence for why the Sabbath should be kept, we've seen that God the Father did not change the Sabbath day. Certainly Jesus did not change the Sabbath. For the Bible says this, Hebrews 13, in thir Hebrews 13 verse 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus wouldn't set up a memorial of his creation only to change his mind and to all of a sudden remember another day instead. He is consistent. God is consistent. I don't know about you, but I think that is great news. God is con consistent, and we are so inconsistent, aren't we? But God is consistent. He's faithful. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The disciples didn't change the day because in the Bible tells us in, in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, it says, But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God 
rather than men. So the disciples would not have dared to attempt to change God's holy law. They wanted to obey God rather than the teachings of men. So the question is, is if God didn't change the Sabbath day, if Jesus didn't change the Sabbath day, and if the disciples didn't change the Sabbath day, then who changed the Sabbath? Well, in the book of Revelation, in chapter 13, we read about a beast that rises up out of the sea. This beast is known as the Antichrist power. The entire world at the end of time follows the beast's deceptions. And in Revelation 13, there's fascinating imagery. Revelation 13.1 says, Then I, that is John, stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now we see that this beast rose up out of the sea. Notice also that this, that this power that rises up is a blasphemous power. Now in the Bible, blasphemy occurs when an earthly power or a human being assumes the privileges and prerogatives of God. Blasphemy is claiming to have authority to change the very law of God written with God's own finger. That is blasphemy. For example, Jesus was accused of blasphemy in John chapter 10, verse 33, which says the Jews answered Jesus saying, for a good work, we did not stone you, but for what? Blasphemy. And because you being a man, make yourself God. But was Jesus being blasphemous, friends? No, he was not. And why was he not being blasphemous? Because he was God. Jesus is God. Amen? Keep this idea in mind about blasphemy as we continue on. Revelation chapter 13 verse 2 gives us more information about this beast that rises up out of the sea. It says, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave, gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Now, in order for us to understand what's coming in the future, it becomes fundamentally important for us to understand these symbols, the symbols of the leopard, the bear, the lion, and the dragon. It also becomes necessary for us to understand the battle in the universe that's going on between good and evil, and, and to know that this battle is over the issue of worship. It centers on the law of God, and that the Sabbath is at the heart of this controversy over worship. But for us, but in order for us to understand the book of Revelation, it's first necessary that we understand some of the prophecies in the book of Daniel. The prophecies of Daniel and Revelation are linked very closely together. So let's go back to Daniel chapter 7. Here we have the same imagery that you see in Revelation chapter 13. We have um, a lion, we have a bear, we have a leopard, and we, we also have a dragon. Here in Daniel chapter 7, we have a description of a power that would rise in the early centuries. It's a power that would unite church and state. It's a religious power that would claim to have God's authority. It would claim that it had the power to change God's laws. Tonight, we're going to show you from God's word, from the Holy Bible, who this power is, where this power arose, and what exactly this power did. But before, and before our meeting is over tonight, you will understand possibly for the first time in your life, 
the central issues in this conflict is over worship and why the Sabbath is so incredibly important to the God of heaven. You will also understand how Sunday came into the Christian church. We will look at, from the, we will look at this from the Bible, as well as we will also look at evidence from history. So let's go to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7. One night, the prophet Daniel fell asleep, and he had a vision. The Bible describes this in Daniel chapter 7, verses 2 and 3. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. Now, how many beasts arise? Four beasts. They, they rise up from the sea. Now, are they the same or are they different from each other? They're different. So what does, then the question begs to be asked, well, what does a beast represent in Bible prophecy? Well, Daniel chapter 7, verse 17 tells us, those great beasts which are four are four kings which arise from the earth. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 23, it continues to explain this concept. It says, thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth. So it represents kings and their kingdoms. So Daniel sees four beasts that represent four kingdoms. And these four ruling, world ruling kingdoms, which start in Daniel's day, take us down the stream of time. And, and if you think back to last weekend, to our very first presentation, we studied about the image in Daniel chapter 2. Let's refresh ourselves because there's a lot of parallels between Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He was the king of Babylon. Uh, the most powerful nation in the world at that time. And he had a, a dream of a great image. And the image had a head of gold. It had chest and arms of silver. It had thighs of bronze. It had legs of iron. And it had feet of iron and clay. Those metals represented Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. And the feet of iron and clay represented divided Europe. Now in this vision of Daniel 7, it's not, not for metals, it's actually four beasts. But these four beasts represent the exact same four powers as the image in Daniel chapter 2. Let's look at it carefully and see how these animal figures represent these ancient nations. Let's look now at the first beast. Daniel chapter 7 verse 4. The Bible says, The first was like a lion and it had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. So here we see that the first beast was like a lion with eagle's wings. Now, when archaeologists were digging in Iraq, where ancient Babylon was, they found engravings on the walls that looked like this, a lion with eagle's wings. Interesting, isn't it? The lion with eagle's wings was a common, well-known symbol for Babylon. In fact, the prophet Jeremiah, speaking of Babylon, wrote this in Jeremiah 4.7. He said, The lion has come up from his thicket, and the destroyer of nations is on his way. Jeremiah 4.7. So here we see Jeremiah says that the destroyer of nations, that is Babylon, was coming to Jerusalem to destroy it. And we see that that took place at the time of Daniel, when he was just a young uh, youth. Jeremiah 4.13 says, And his chariots like a whirlwind, his horses are swifter than eagles. 
So people in the ancient world would have known that Babylon was represented by a lion with eagle's wings. This nation of Babylon spread throughout the Mediterranean world. It was the most powerful nation at the time. But then another nation was to come. Daniel chapter 7 verse 5 says, And suddenly another beast, uh, a second like a bear, it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. Now notice that the second empire is like a bear that raises itself up onto one side. Medo-Persia first overthrew Babylon, and the bear of Medo-Persia raising itself up on one side represented the Persians overthrowing Babylon first, then dominating the Medes. It was, a, it was a, um, an alliance that they had, basically, the Medes and the Persians. Now, what does the bear have in its mouth? It has three ribs. Those aren't whiskers up there. Those are ribs, <laughs> according to the Bible. And when Medo-Persia conquered the world, it first conquered Babylon. Then it went northward and it conquered Lydia. And then it went southward and it conquered Egypt. These three nations, Babylon, Lydia, and Egypt, represent three ribs. Isn't it amazing how accurate Bible prophecy is, friends? It's absolutely amazing to see how God predicted these things and how history proves them to be true. Then a third empire arises. Daniel chapter 7, verse 6 says, After this I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. So what nation would follow Medo-Persia? It would be Greece, that's right. And who was the first leader of Greece? It was Alexander the Great, right? Through his leadership, Greece quickly conquered the then-known world. And if you wanted to describe a rapid conquest, what kind of animal might you use to describe uh, uh, an animal that moves very quickly? What kind of animal might you choose? A leopard or, you know, I heard someone say a cheetah, but the Bible uses a leopard here. But if you wanted to describe a super rapid conquest, what would you do with your leopard? You would put wings on that leopard. So God put wings on his leopard to describe the rapid conquest of Alexander the Great. But some may wonder, well, why does this beast have four heads? What's that all about? Well, when Alexander the Great died, he had four generals. And his four generals did not want to destroy one another over the empire. So these four generals simply made a pact. And their names were Cassander, Lysimachus, Ptolemy, and Seleucus. So Alexander's four generals just divided up the empire. And uh, isn't that amazing, friends, how God had predicted this all ahead of time? The Bible describes a fourth empire as well in Daniel chapter 7, verse 7. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It, notice that it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. So it's very clear that this beast represents the kingdom of Rome, the empire of Rome. This period takes us down to the time of Christ. It was a Roman decree that brought Joseph and Mary to Jesus's hometown where he was born there in Bethlehem. It was Pontius Pilate, a Roman who tried Jesus. It was a Roman soldier that nailed Jesus to the cross. Rome ruled the world 
in the days of Jesus. Christianity grew up in the Roman Empire. And the Bible also describes the collapse of the Roman Empire and the symbolism of the toes of the image back in Daniel chapter 2. You remember the ten toes? Rome was divided into ten kingdoms. And the horns also on the, ten, uh, on the fourth beast, there were ten horns. The barbarian tribes quickly swept across the empire and they pillaged and they plundered. They destroyed villages and they occupied cities. The Anglo-Saxons settled in England. The Franks settled in the area of France. The Alemanni settled in the area of Germany. And the Ostrogoths settled in the area of Austria and so on and so forth as you see there on the screen. And the other tribes from the north spread all throughout the empire, dividing up the territory as we see it today. These divisions are revealed in the ten horns of this fourth beast. As Daniel envisioned viewed these ten horns, he saw something else remarkable arise. Daniel chapter 7 verse 8 tells us, it says, I was considering the horns and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them. So in Europe, among these ten horns, there's another power that arises. It continues, it says, Before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots, and there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. The Bible says that this little horn would arise among them, that is, among the ten horns, among divided Europe, and it was, would be different than all of the rest. So who is this little horn that rises up among the ten horns? Well, let's find out some things that the Bible says about this little horn. First, the little horn comes up among the first ten. If the ten horns are the division of Rome, then this little horn has to come up somewhere in Western Europe. The little horn is not going to come up in Asia or Africa or the Americas. Its roots are in European soil. It comes up among the ten horns. Daniel chapter 7 verse 24 describes this little horn further. It says, The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall rise after them, and he shall be different from the first ones, and shall subdue three kings. So when would this little horn arise? Would he arise before or after the other horns? It would be after. So it would arise after the ten horns. Notice it doesn't come up in the days of Babylon. It doesn't come up in the days of Medo-Persia or Greece or, or Rome, but it comes up after the fall of the Roman Empire. It comes up when Rome is being divided, and it's a power that rises up out of Rome in the early centuries. And as we shall see, this power would think to change the very law of God. The third characteristic is that it is different than all the rest. All the other powers before it, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, they were all political powers, but this one is different. It's not primarily a political power, but it's a religious power. The Bible also says that this little horn has eyes like the eyes of a man. Now, what does this represent? Does anybody, does anybody know um, what a prophet is called in the Bible? It's called a seer, that's right. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 9, a prophet was formerly called a seer. That is because the prophet sees with God's eyes. The eyes of a man represent not divine wisdom, but human wisdom. 
It is human it is a human religious system based on man's teachings that would rise up out of Rome. So what would this power do? Notice what the Bible says in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. It says, And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws. Friends, this power would attempt to change the very law of God. Now, it's not speaking about something insignificant like tax laws or political laws. Um, it's obviously speaking about divine laws. Because when one nation would follow another, it nearly always changes human laws. That was commonplace. I don't think the Bible would have mentioned it had it been talking about common laws like that. There's nothing surprising about that. But this little horn would speak great words against the Most High God by assuming the prerogative and attempting to change divine laws. Now notice what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that it could change those laws, but only that it would think to change them. Friends, no earthly power, however mighty it claims to be, has the authority to change God's law. Amen? So how would this possibly take place? Well, Daniel chapter 8, verse 12 tells us that this little horn power, the same little horn power, would cast truth to the ground. And boy, did he cast truth to the ground. He did all this and prospered, the Bible says. So coming up out of the old Roman Empire, a religious power would arise. It would be small at first, but it would become extremely powerful over time. And I want to just hit the pause button here for a moment, and I want to say this. Friends, I believe that God has had two people in every church, even during the Dark Ages. God has had genuine people that have been seeking after him, longing for light, longing for the truth, and following God to the best of their abilities. They were living up to all the light that God had given them. And friends, I believe that the Holy Spirit works with people. Do you believe that? God has us all on a journey. He knows our background. He knows where we come from. He knows where we've been. He knows what we've experienced in life. And he knows where we are spiritually, and he seeks to grow us. He, we're, all, we're all on a journey. We want to grow closer to the Lord. And he knows when we're ready to hear things, and he knows when we're not ready to hear things. And that's why when you read the Bible, you can sometimes read the same exact passage multiple times, and, and you read it again for that that umpteenth time, and you're like, wow, I never saw that before. It's because God is revealing things to us gradually as we're ready to receive it. And the Holy Spirit always urges us to follow God's word. I want to highlight that point for a moment, friends. The Holy Spirit is never going to lead you away from God's word. Amen? The Holy Spirit is the one that inspired God's book here, the Holy Bible, and he will always lead us back to the Bible. John chapter 16, verse 13 is a promise that all of us as Christians can claim. It says, when he, that is the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into what? He will guide you into all truth. Friends, do you want to know all truth? Then claim this promise that the, and, and the Holy Spirit will guide you. He wants to guide each and every one of us. We just need to follow his lead. Amen? When he guides us, we need to be willing to follow. Unfortunately, though, many have never had an opportunity to come to a seminar like this. Many people have never had an opportunity to have a Bible study on this particular topic. But friends, I believe that God is speaking to people in every church, that God has people in every church that he is 
and he's drawing them to himself. Amen? And if we claim this promise in John chapter 16, verse 13, I believe the Holy Spirit will guide each of us. So the question is, is how did the Sabbath change from Sabbath to Sunday? How did this actually occur? Well, what happened historically? Well, the change of the Sabbath occurred gradually over a long period of time. It resulted in a variety of social and religious factors. And what I'm about to share is not intended to be an attack on anyone or on any particular religion. I'm simply sharing what has historically happened, okay? I want to share a quote here from Dr. John Eady. He helps us to understand the roots of this change that took place in his Bible encyclopedia on page 561. He says this, he says, Sabbath, a Hebrew word signifying rest. That's literally what the the word Sabbath means. It's from the Hebrew word Shabbat. It means stop. It means rest, cease. Sunday was a name given by the heathens to the first day of the week because it was the day on which they worshiped the sun. We see throughout history that sun worship was very common in Egypt. It was common in Babylon. It was common in, in Persia as well as Rome. So when you come to the 4th century, the Roman Emperor Constantine was also very influenced by sun worship. And Constantine, he really wanted to unite his empire. He had a divided empire and he was wanting to bring it together. So, but how could he unite the empire? Well, Constantine thought that he came up with a very brilliant idea. Why not unite the empire around Sunday worship? So here's the emperor's decree from AD 321. Constantine says this, he says, On the venerable day of the sun, let the magistrates and people residing in the cities rest and let all the shops be closed. So here Constantine calls Sunday the venerable day of the sun, and he declares that all shops should be closed. Constantine issued the first Sunday law in an attempt to unite his empire. He was so inclined to the sun god that he actually put his image on one side of his coins and the sun, a picture of the sun god on the other. In the days of Constantine, the church and state united in an attempt to Christianize the pagans and unite the empire. And the Roman government and the Roman church united. And here's a statement that is really incredible, friends. It's from March 1994 in the Catholic world which is a series of volumes much like the Catholic Encyclopedia on page 809. Here's what our Catholic friends say. It says, The sun was a foremost god of heathendom. There is, in truth, something royal, something kingly about the sun, making it a fit emblem of Jesus, the son of justice. Hence, the church in these countries would seem to have said, Keep that old pagan name. It shall remain consecrated sanctified, and thus the pagan Sunday dedicated to Baldar became the Christian Sunday, sacred to who? Sacred to Jesus. Do you see what happened, friends? Do you see how Sunday came into the church? Constantine wanted to unite his empire, and the Roman church leaders wanted to convert the pagans, and Sunday became the vehicle to accomplish both purposes. So the biblical Sabbath was changed by the Roman church and state union. God didn't change it. The disciples didn't change it. And certainly Jesus himself did not change it or he would have told us. 
The Catholic Church uh, Council of Laodicea records the first prohibition of keeping the Bible Sabbath. The Roman Catholic bishops met there and look what happened. I'm quoting exactly from the, uh, the history books from the records of that council, the Council of Laodicea in AD 325. It says, Christians shall not Judaize. That is, they shall not keep the Sabbath and be idle on Saturday. So here the church council is saying, we're forbidding Christians to worship and rest on Sabbath. They shall work on that day instead. But the Lord's day, they shall especially honor as being Christians, shall, if possible, do no work on that day. But the Lord's day, now, now of course, they we're mistaken here. They're, they're, when they say Lord's day here, they're referring to Sunday. But we've seen from the Bible that the Lord's day is on which day? Saturday, Saturday the Sabbath. But notice that they're making a change here with their language. They're shifting from the Lord's day from, they're shifting the Lord's Day from Sabbath to Sunday here in the church. This statement is extremely significant for another reason. Christian leaders felt that Sabbath was Jewish, and they wanted to disassociate themselves from the Jews due to anti-Jewish feelings throughout the Roman Empire. The, the Jews were a constant thorn in the flesh to the Romans. The Jews hated the Romans, they hated being oppressed by them, and they would revolt against the empire often. The quote, and so Christians would disassociate themselves from them uh, at this time. If, however, they are found Judaizing, they shall be shut out from Christ. Can you believe it, friends? So here a church council that unites the Roman government under Constantine said that we are shifting the authority of the Sabbath to Sunday. So the change of the Sabbath took place gradually. We've seen that here throughout history, as Christians distanced themselves from the Jews and the, and, the, and the church state leaders joined hands to unite the empire. The Bible makes this very plain in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. It describes how this, this little horn power would think to change times and laws. It, and um, Daniel 7, 25 says that an earthly power growing up out of Rome would attempt to change God's law. God warns people ahead of time, friends. That's why God gives us the prophecies of the Bible. He wants us to be able to know what's coming, to warn us of the danger that is ahead. Now, our Roman Catholic friends for years have used the converts' catechism to instruct people who desire to join the Catholic Church. Listen to what the catechism says, the converts' catechism says, regarding the change of the Sabbath. Question, which day is the Sabbath day? Answer, Saturday is the Sabbath day. So there you have it right there in the converts catechism that the Catholic Church admits that Saturday is the Bible Sabbath. They admit it. But we continue reading. Question, why do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? Answer, because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. Friends, do they have the authority to do that? No, they do not. Now let's go to the Catholic Encyclopedia, volume 4, page 153. These are some of the most reliable volumes of the Catholic Church. It says this. It says the church, after changing the day of rest from the Jewish Sabbath of the seventh day to the first day of the week, made the third commandment refer to Sunday as the day to be kept holy as the Lord's day. Now notice that the Sabbath is the fourth commandment, friends, not 
the third commandment. So why is it listed as the third commandment in the Catholic encyclopedia? Well, it's because the one on image worship, that is the second commandment, was dropped out of the Ten Commandments. They didn't like that one. They wanted to incorporate the images into the, into the church so that way it would attract the pagans to come. And, uh, and as a result of this, they only had nine. And so what they had to do was divide the Tenth Commandment. So they divided the Tenth Commandment, Thou shalt not covet, into two. The Catholic Encyclopedia admits that the commandments were changed. Friends, the church is not ashamed of this at all. They put it out in the open. Carl Keating, one of the foremost Catholic lay scholars in the United States today, wrote a book as a challenge to Protestants. It's called Catholicism and Fundamentalism. And on page 38, it says this. It says, Fundamentalists meet for worship on Sunday. Yet there is no biblical, no evidence in the Bible that corporate worship was to be made on Sundays. The Jewish Sabbath, or day of rest, was of course Saturday. It was the Catholic Church that decided, to, decided Sunday should be the day for, of worship for Christians in honor of the resurrection. So here this Catholic author is reasoning with Protestants. He says, if you want to go by the Bible, you should keep the Bible Sabbath. He argues that if you don't want to go by the Bible, you should just, you might as well go back to the Catholic Church. Now, the central issue regarding the change of the Sabbath is does the church have authority to change God's law? No, it does not. If you accept Sunday, though, you're accepting the day that the church changed. But you're not going by the Bible, but you're going by man's authority. Here's another quote from Cardinal James Gibbons in the book, Faith of Our Fathers. And friends, I'm using so many of these quotes because I want you to see that this is not something that's done in a corner, but that the leading scholars know and understand this. Cardinal Gibbons was the foremost Catholic scholar in America in the 19th century. And writing in the 1800s, he said this. He said, you may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. The scriptures enforce the, religions, the religious observance of Saturday. You see, though, friends, people sometimes say, well, it's just a matter of days. Well, friends, anyone who says that it's just a matter of days is not clear on the issues. You see, the issues are much more than just a matter of days. The issue is, is what is your guide? Is it the Bible? Is your guide the Bible or is it tradition? The issue is, does any human church or human religious leader have, for whatever reason or motive, have the authority to change God's law that was written with his own finger on tables of stone? Has he done that? Not at all, friends. In Psalm 89, verse 34, God says, My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. God says, My covenant I will not break. I'm not going to alter the words that have gone out of my mouth. God's, God's word and his law do not change. So the issue is a matter of authority. And in the Toronto Daily Star, in October 26, 1949, a Protestant Anglican bishop got up and he shocked the entire Protestant world at the time. This is what he said, and it made the front page article in the Toronto Daily Star 
reported on October 26, 1949. It says, Reverend Philip Carrington, Anglican Archbishop of Quebec, sent local clergymen into a huddle today by saying outright that there was nothing to support Sunday being kept holy. Carrington definitively told a church meeting in this city of straight-laced Protestantism that this that tradition, not the Bible, made Sunday the day of worship. You see what the issue is, friends. It's not just a matter of days. It's a matter of authority. The issue is, is who is your master? Is it Jesus or is it church leaders? What is the foundation of your faith? Is it the Bible or is it what man says? The book Canon and Tradition says this. It says, The authority of the church could therefore not be bound to the authority of the scriptures because the church had changed the Sabbath to Sunday, not by command of Christ, but by its own authority. Friends, when you really love Christ, he is your final authority. His word is your guide. There are some things that you can say this matters and this doesn't matter. But when it has to do with the law of God written with God's own finger, it matters. When it has to do with prophecy in the book of Daniel, predicting that an earthly power would attempt to change the Sabbath, to attempt to change God's law, it matters. What is the basis of authority in spiritual matters? The church or God's will, which is revealed through his holy word. To give up the Bible Sabbath, given by God as a sign of his creative authority, does matter, friends. I would much rather follow what God gave to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. I would much rather follow what God gave to Moses in the Ten Commandments. I'd much rather follow the example of Jesus. How about you? Ezekiel 20, verse 12, the Bible says, Moreover, I gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between them and me. So God says that the Sabbath is a sign. It's a sign that we want to follow God's word over tradition. It's a sign that we believe that God created our world. It's a sign that we want to follow all of God's word. That's why in the last days of earth's history, in Revelation 14, 12, God's word says this. It says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Friends, in the last days of earth's history, God will have a people. He will have a group of people that love him so much that they will choose to obey him. They will choose to keep his commandments because they love him. It's more than just a matter of days. In the Garden of Eden, Satan said to Eve, he said, what difference does a tree make? All trees are alike. And Eve lost Eden because she bought into that lie of the devil. And many Christians today are buying into a deception. Many Christians have never known anything different. Many would accept the Sabbath if only someone had the courage to share it with them. People say, what difference does a day make? All days are alike. Well, friends, with God, all days are not alike. One day was blessed by God, and that's the seventh day. One day was sanctified by God. One day was set aside, and that was the seventh day. There was one on which God rested, and that is the seventh-day Sabbath. The issues that we're dealing with 
here, friends, are issues of authority, issues of obedience. Our choice is that we can follow either the Bible or we can follow tradition. We can follow Jesus or we can follow religious leaders. We can follow God's laws or man-made dogmas. We can follow God's instructions or human teaching. We can follow God's way or we can follow man's way. Now the question is sometimes asked, are you suggesting that everybody who keeps Sunday is lost? And let me be very crystal clear on this issue, friends. Everybody who keeps Sunday is not lost. There are many Sunday-keeping Christians who love Jesus with all of their hearts. Amen? And they are living up to all the light that they know. And when they learn more, they will be willing to follow that light that God gives them. And friends, all over the world, there are people that are following that light. They're hearing God's voice. They're hearing God's word and they're stepping forward in faith. I've heard testimonies recently where there have been people in, in, in all these Muslim countries that are having dreams and visions of Jesus. God is doing a mighty work in these last days and people are making decisions for Christ. And God says to you and me tonight in, in Joshua 24, 15, he says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Tonight, friends, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to our message tonight. Our ushers have a response card, and if they could quickly pass that out to you, I'd like to um, give you an opportunity to respond to tonight's message. We've seen last night that God has a Ten Commandment law that still applies to us today. And uh, we see there at the decision card there at the top, it says John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And um, there are several boxes here that you can check. I just want to walk you through them real quickly as we close our meeting tonight. The first box says, I choose Jesus to be my Lord and my personal Savior. If that's your desire and you want Jesus to be your personal Savior, check that box. Second box says, I want to live my life according to God's will. I choose, if that's your desire, I'd encourage you to check that box as well. And friends, God's will is revealed right here in his words. Study it. Study it. The third box says, I choose to worship him that made heaven and earth by keeping the Bible Sabbath. If that's your desire, I'd encourage you to check that box. Maybe you're hearing about the Sabbath for the first time and this is new to you. Uh, and you'd like more information on this topic, go ahead and check that fourth box. That's okay. It's understandable. If this is new material to you, then I would encourage you to study this out, friends. St study your lessons. Study your Bible. Look through some of the resources we're giving you. And if you have questions that you'd like to discuss, we'd like to be able to help, help you find answers in God's Word. I'd encourage you to check that last box. And you can even write your question on the back or your prayer request. Maybe you have a, a conflict with work and you want prayer that God will help you to be able to keep the Sabbath day holy. I'd encourage you to check that box there. Friends, Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is calling us today. He's calling us to step out of the crowd and he's calling us to follow him. He's calling us to obey him out of love. He's appealing to us tonight to accept his word and his word alone. Friends, this should be the basis for all of our beliefs. Amen? God's word is our authority. So tonight as we close, would you like to raise your hand right now and say to Jesus, yes, Jesus, 
I want to follow you all the way. If that's your desire, raise your hand with me as we pray. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we want to follow you. Lord, we see that there are so many distractions in this world. Lord, we see that there is a great deception, Lord, that's going on in this world. But Lord, we want to follow you. Lord, we want to, we don't want to be deceived, Lord, and we want to study your word more faithfully. Lord, help us to study your word. Lord, I pray for those tonight that are hearing about the Sabbath truths for the first time. Lord, I pray that they would see what a blessing the Sabbath is. Lord, that you've set this day aside one one day, Lord, each week, the seventh day, to spend entirely with you, Lord. What a blessing it's been in my own life, Lord. I don't know where my life would have gone had I not had the seventh-day Sabbath, Lord, to spend that time with you each week. Lord, I pray that you would help us to know how to keep it holy, Lord, that we would look at principles in your word and that we would see that you have given us instruction. Lord, help us to walk in the lights as you are in the light, Lord. I pray that we would be among those people in these last days that follow the Lamb wherever he goes, Lord. That's our desire and that's our prayer tonight, Lord. We want to follow you. Help us, Lord, to follow you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.